0: You're supposed
1: to say hello. Oh, hello. (laughs) Welcome to the Circle of Dads, the space for sharing stories about the struggles and triumphs of fatherhood and learning to become better men.
0: Let's do it. Welcome to the Circle of Dads podcast. I'm here at On It HQ with Kyle Kingsbury. Thanks for taking the time to meet with me, man. Hell yeah, brother! Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, um, I guess I, I got turned on to you a while back and uh, been listening to your podcast. Now it's the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like you're just going off on your own. Well, not your own, but you're. Uh, well, you well, could say that. I yeah.
1: mean, I mean, in a lot of ways, the the name, the final name change. We changed it a few times from. The Human Optimization Hour. Or let's see, it was the Onnit podcast, then the Human Optimization Hour presented by Onnit, and now the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. This final landing place is just to to make it my own in a way where I can really dive into whatever the fuck I want to talk about. Sorry, do we do we curse on this podcast? Oh is fuck! Yeah. All right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I always have to ask that there were some things that I wanted to discuss and some different topics and people I wanted to have on that weren't necessarily under the guise of of human optimization. I mean, if I stretch and push the envelope, I can get it there, but it just gives me total freedom over who I have on that kind of stuff. Also, you know, the, the sponsorship piece uh, on it didn't necessarily want to have other sponsors on the show. If, if they were the host of the show and then now uh, obviously I can do that, even though I'm taking on the cost of the show, I can, I can have sponsors. So that, that helps quite a bit, you know, with, with family expenses and travel
0: expenses and all that. I mean, a podcast isn't cheap. Yeah, no e- doubt. Even just running mine, I mean, you know, the it, it takes a while before you can monetize it. Yeah. And this is a part-time gig, but, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean that I, I need to give it part-time attention, you know, and it doesn't have part-time cost. So that's cool that you get to um, find a way to make money off of it, too. Yeah. Or support yourself, I guess would be a better sure. way to say it. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, th-
1: just to put it plainly, people are like, oh, how much does it cost? Well, we would fly people in and on it would pay for the flights, the hotel. And I take them out to dinner. It's up to about $1,000 for sure. every guest. You got 52 guests on a year. That's a chunk of change, right?
0: Well, plus producers, equipment, mm-hmm. space. I mean, you know, time that you're taking away from working on things for On It to do this. Yeah. Which I guess it all kind of goes together. But
1: Well, it is bouncing. And, you know, On It's remaining a sponsor indefinitely. Obviously, I still work here. I'm in full support. I have stock in the company. I want On It to do as well as possible, as well as anybody wants it to. But yeah, I get to, you know, I work in product development, designing supplements, food products, different things like that, and still the office guinea pig. So it's all, it's all worked out for the better.
0: Well, it looks like nothing's fucked you up too much. I mean, you seem like to be a pretty healthy guy. <laughs> yeah, trying. You know, I, I listen to the shows, and, and, um, and what really started piquing my interest was how you appear to be this very alpha male you know, you your back. You want to talk about your background a little bit? What you did before this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I let's see. I played football since I was ten. Finished at Arizona State, and then got into mixed martial arts. Uh, fought professionally for eight years. My last six were in the UFC, and uh, learned a lot along the way. And then got into podcasting after going on the Rogan Experience the first time, and and uh, we've just taken it from here. I mean, I'm I'm continue to be a student of all things optimization. Sure. And uh, that's kind of what landed me the job here at it. Uh, really hit it off with Aubrey after a Paleo FX uh, in 2017, so a couple years ago, and, and it wasn't maybe two or three months before we moved out here and started
0: working full-time here at it. Sure. You know, the whole point to my show, my show, this show, whatever, I don't really own anything, but to this, this time we're going to spend together is, is, you know, I grew up around guys didn't talk about certain things. They didn't talk about their emotions. They didn't talk about their feelings. You just drink water, take a knee and shut the fuck up. You know, don't be a pussy. All the shit that we've heard our whole lives, right? Yeah. Any kind of trauma, any kind of anything that happened, you just stored it away, not even realizing you're storing it away. And for me, A lot of that started popping back up whenever I had a kid. Well, it popped up in every relationship. I just didn't realize it. Yeah. You know, because then it was, uh, I masked it with drugs and alcohol and excuses and making it everybody else's fault. So as I had a child and realized I just wasn't cutting it, you know, I wasn't being a good dad. I I was incapable of, of being emotionally fit And responding to situations and and responsibilities appropriately. And it took a lot of beating my head against the wall and a lot of fucking pain before I finally hit my bottom with that and got some help. Through that process, I found that my idea of masculinity and being an alpha male or whatever that, regardless if it's alpha or not, but just being a masculine man, but also being um, emotionally healthy and vulnerable, we're uh, we're not mutually exclusive. Like I mean, they they could uh, have the same space, but I was never raised around that, and it and it took a lot of uh, a lot of work to get to that point. So I rarely get to talk to guys because I don't want to talk about football or the fucking weather. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Like I just don't care about that stuff. But if you want to get down into some deep conversations about you know what makes you tick or or uh the quirks or just i call it your spiritual butthole (laughs) (laughs) i like that a lot spiritual butthole just because it's the ugly you know you can just show your true raw self to somebody well guys don't do that but what i found in that process is it's made me uh, i've 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 uh improved so much as a father and a and a husband and a friend that i was like "How, how the hell how the hell does anybody operate the other way so when you start on this path and it's a path that I don't think ever has an ending or a destination. Um, and you see other guys struggling. It's so fucking hard. It's so difficult to see other guys hurting yeah. and, and how they spread that hurt. And so when I'd listen to your show and I'd hear you say things about different, uh, healings, you've done different paths that you've gone down and, and how you've evolved as a father and, and, I was just like, man, I got to get this guy on the show. Hell yeah. Thanks so, for having me, brother. Yeah. So uh, does any of that ring with
1: you? Oh, massively. Massively. You know, I think. Show uh, me your butthole. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I'm thinking of right now. One, how stuff comes up for us when we first become parents. Oh, okay. You know, and like, it's, it's it, a lot of stuff came up for my wife around her childhood, specifically with her mother when she became a mother for the first time. And a lot of stuff came up for me around my father and discipline once I started having to discipline my son. So it didn't happen immediately because babies are babies. You just change their diaper and make sure they're fed. But once he got old enough to be chippy and start testing the limits, as any two and three year old will do, uh, especially a hard nosed kid like he is, um, it, it really put in my face all the differences between how I was disciplining him and raising him versus how my dad was and the pros and cons of both I mean I saw it from all angles it wasn't just a well he did it this way and I do it this way and I didn't like the way I had it so this is the way I'm doing it like no I saw like yeah I never slapped my dad's face in public I mean we (laughs) I'll give you an example I took bear to archery country to um get zeroed in with the bow with John Dudley in town and he was watching and being good and then at some point while everyone's at full draw, he decided to run out in the fucking range. And I was like, hold, hold, and everybody, everybody paused, everybody drew down and I ran over there and grabbed him and was like, buddy, you can't do that. You could die, you know? And of course he gets embarrassed. So he just open hand slaps the shit out of me and gets super mad. And it's funny cause it's, it's Texas. So of course everybody's like, oh shit, you are gonna let him do that? You know, and I was like, actually, yeah, I am gonna let him do that because he's upset and he felt a certain way and I've been punched in the face. Like him, a three-year-old slapping me isn't going to do much. Um, but it just, it just showed like there is, yeah, yeah, it was nice from my dad's angle to never have to be slapped or have a kid, you know, that would, that would really uh, push back the way I allow bear to push back. But at the same time, I think there's, it just helps with the learning. You know, there was a, a lady that I, that I interviewed back in the day on who, um, uh, is really into breaking down what is positive masculinity and negative. She calls it the divine masculine or the unconscious masculine. And then, of course, the divine feminine and the unconscious feminine. And she really dives deep into that. But, um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I can get into that further. But the point is, like, there's so many different angles that we can take. And because there's no script, it's really, I think, in my opinion, being a student and trying to learn as much as possible because our children are our greatest teachers. And if we treat them that way, we can learn as we go rather than taking that hard line, unconscious male approach to my way or the highway. This is how it's done. That kind of shit. Right.
0: Because that's painful. Yeah. That's a hard road.
1: No doubt about it. But with the emotional stuff, those was the other piece I wanted to talk about. Like that's been a huge piece for me. Um that really started to develop once I started fighting because I had this tremendous outlet and I had a beautiful coach named Huitzi who was Native American and Mexican and he would take me to the reservation and for people that have heard me before I've told this a million times so my apologies but we started working with plant medicines and doing traditional sweat lodges and learning a lot about how to work with that stuff and that was really where I was able to kind of break down the, the walls, the, the facade of emotion, and to just allow myself to be a human and have the human experience. Which, as Anahata points out, all good humans have positive traits of both masculine and feminine. And the softness to be able to cry and let your emotions out and let your guard down is important for all humans. Doesn't matter if you're male, female, transgender, whatever the fuck you are, or whatever you claim to be, to be able to cry and let that out. That's pretty important. And I call it, you know, emotional constipation to get to that spiritual butthole. Emotional constipation. If I if I don't have the ability to release in that way, that's a problem. It's a problem for my own health. It's a problem for my own ability to process stress. And it's it's kind of one of those things where. Anything in life, if I won't look at it, if I refuse to look at it, whether it's an emotional thing or something that's going on, some kind of stressor, if I can't take an honest look at that and allow it to move through me, then it's just going to build up and cause tension and, and fucking bleed out into all areas of my life. So I think that's, that's where that, the emotional ability for me to be fully human and express myself has really uh, started to develop over the years, probably the last 10 years. And it's super important, you know, and I see that now with Bear and I'm getting long winded on this answer. I see that now with Bear where there's a part of me that's still conditioned to say, hey, dude, stop crying because you didn't get what you want. You know, and then so we have we and that's fine because we can we can decide where that line falls. It's not like I was told just not to cry in general, whereas and I'm sure you were right. Like, no, don't cry. Crying for pussies, that kind of stuff. Crying's for girls. And so, to have the ability to say, hey, you got hurt, it's okay to cry, versus you didn't get what you want. We don't cry when we don't get what we want. Yeah. So, to teach that, that difference
0: there, I Cause, think it's been important. Because disappointment is disappointment. Yep. Like my daughter told me she loved a boy. And instead of telling her, you know, and this was, um, oh, probably about six months ago, first boyfriend, she's telling me that she loved him. And instead of, you don't know what love is. Like, who the fuck am I to tell her what emotion she feels? And I told her, you know, don't ever let anybody tell you who you love and don't love because it's all relative. I mean, it's how you perceive it. You, It's a, it's an extreme emotion. You feel this extreme emotion towards this other person because it's the first time you've ever felt that other than to your mom or me or whoever. And as you get older, you'll learn to protect that and decide who gets it and who doesn't. But, yeah, sure, if you love him, great. But it's like a kid, you know, if he's upset, yeah, man, fuck, man, that sucks. But... What are you going to do? Yeah. Kids are hard. They're tricky. <laughs> you you think you got it figured out, and then they change the rules. How does Bear push you the most other than, uh, well, slapping you and pu- – damn, that's a hell of a thing to do, too. I can only imagine. <laughs> you were telling me that story, and I'm thinking, Jesus, because it's like all the things that would, would light up, especially being in Texas in a place like that. Everybody – well, he just needs an ass-whipping is what he needs. Or yeah. how how would – I, I wouldn't let my boy do that. And I mean, I doubt anybody was going to call you a bitch for it. You know, <laughs> um, that's interesting. I mean, I think you handled it well. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean,
1: and the thing is, is that I was able to pull back a layer and understand why he was upset. Cause he yeah. was upset because he got embarrassed. He got yelled at in front of a bunch of people. And you know, it's funny cause we don't, uh, Tim Ferriss talked about this a long time ago where he would lay down after ordering our coffee in the middle of Starbucks. So he could, really feel that embarrassment and, realize, and learn to sort what is actual embarrassment and what isn't. What should I be embarrassed about and what I should not be about? He gives the example of um, an old samurai who would wear a pink tunic mm-hmm. in a battle and the reason for that was because he could, he could really figure out what was true embarrassment and what was not. What should I be uh, concerned about with others opinions versus what I should not? And I don't think we fully develop that until we become men or women to really understand that. But I mean, you, you remember high school, I mean, fuck, countless, countless different moments of embarrassment. I remember uh, in junior high I was sitting in class and I, it was my first day of wrestling practice and I had brought a cup in and because I didn't realize you don't wear cups in wrestling. And one of my good friends, he looked in my bag and saw this cup and the cup was from when I played Pop Warner football. It wasn't even a new cup that would fit. It was an old cup because it's the only cup I had. So it was a youth medium. Sure. And, of course, my buddy reaches into the bag and tosses it down the aisle and says, who has a cup? It Look, it's a youth medium. And and everyone's looking. Even the teacher laughed, female teacher. And it's right by this girl I got a crush on. And I was fucking mortified, right? But I think of things like that, and and it's hilarious now. But there's so many of those events that take place where you're just, like, consumed by embarrassment. It's heavy. so I try to think of that. Like if, 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 if Bear's receptive to me Telling him something or, or letting him know Like hey that's not acceptable Odds are it's just the two of us It's a lot easier When I break it down for him one on one If it's in front of a large group Odds are he's going to get really sad And really upset Because he does get embarrassed And that's not something I can coach out of him right now That's something that he's going to have to develop over time So to just have that receptivity and understanding allows me to not take offense when he reacts that way and open hand slaps me, you know, whereas if I was a younger man or if I maybe hadn't done that kind of work on myself, then I wouldn't, I would only be responding to his reaction rather than trying to see from the bird's eye view of what's really going on there and why he would react that way.
0: You know, and, and had you done it a different, if had you gone about a different, um, a different way with it, um, and slapped him back like do you like that you know then that could put that pattern in his head put that you know that okay this is what we do when we're embarrassed every time my wife embarrassed me every time my friends embarrass me then we're gonna we're gonna fight or I'm gonna react this way physically to prove that I don't need to be embarrassed or whatever it may be if I get angry then I'm gonna start leaning towards violence and I mean, I believe there's a time and place for violence. It, if someone's attacking me or my wife or my family, then absolutely. If yeah. it's competitive, then absolutely. If I'm just walking down the street and bored, no. <laughs> if yeah. someone's doing something I don't agree with and it doesn't affect me or anyone around me, no. So yeah, I applaud you for that response. I guess <laughs> you had a you had a coach that led you to the to the healings and to the plant medicine and. Was there something about you that he saw? Were you uh, an angry guy?
1: No, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people, and this isn't... I, I always try to make this distinction because my personal reason for fighting is not the same reason everybody fights. And there's sure. plenty of guys that I know that have, you know, that doesn't appear on paper that they've had um, as, you know, just... just hard challenges that in life that brought them to the place of fighting some people just want to fight because they love it for the competition and it's fun but um you know i certainly had stuff that i hadn't worked through when i found fighting and it was a great outlet for me um i hit it off with that coach you know like there was there was he saw something in me as a as a fighter and also knew that I was receptive to those kind of things, and it still took a uh, you know a couple of years before we started working with plant medicines. He wanted to make sure I was ready, and who knows, you know, like the, there's a lot of people that, that try things like that and they don't have the same response because they're not guided in the way that I was guided. They're not guided with uh, intention, and you know, with these traditional practices, if they're used properly, they can open up whole new worlds to you. But if they're not, they can cause more damage than good. And I think I was very fortunate to have somebody with that level of mastery working with me.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. What a great opportunity. Yeah. Can you see a big change from the way you were before you started? I mean, I know that's a pretty obvious statement, but like before you started a family, like before you got married, after you got married, and then when Bear came along, How have you seen yourself progress in your, your overall emotional health, what your ideals of masculinity are, were currently are, whatever, you know, I mean, how, how have you seen the image of what you wanted to be change?
1: Yeah. I mean, shit through, through my life, um, you know, always wanting to be an athlete and, uh, was for a long time. I think You know, the changes that have taken place happen in stages and and fighting gave me a lot because it it started to teach me how to treat myself better just simply due to the fact that I I needed to recover faster. I needed to quiet my mind when I walked to the cage. All those things became catalysts for learning and in that taught me things about breath work and quieting my mind and mindfulness meditation and a a boatload of tools I never would have got if I didn't have the pressure of somebody trying to take my head off. Sure because I wouldn't have paid much attention to it. I thought meditation was lame and you know, that kind of shit. And then uh, as I started to develop those tools and then thankfully having that coach and working with plant medicines, there's just continual shifts. You know, they talk about um, you peel the layer of your onion off, but it's an infinite layer. So each time you, you have like a big medicine ceremony or, or, or any life-changing thing that happens, you're peeling a layer off and getting closer to the truth of who you are. And I think, as I've done that, it's revealed more to me about what makes me tick, and it's revealed more to me about um, the ways I was programmed. You know, and I think all of us—there's no question—we all have programming, programming from our parents, from our peers, from the time and the place that we were raised, uh, societal stuff. You know, you look at um, a book like *The Four Agreements* by Don Miguel Ruiz. The first time I read that, he was talking about um, what does he call it? It's the domestication of man. And I was like, this is a salty motherfucker to be talking about man being domesticated. And I just didn't get it. And as I've reread that book, um, you know, with the foundation of of my own self-work and and, uh, ceremonies and things like that, like I, I totally get it. There's there is no question. And you think about that nature versus nurture. It's it's there's both for sure. But there is a lot of stuff that gets programmed in. So to be able to unpack that, I think, has really helped me shift. Because if you, I think the first thing is just to become aware of what's going on. And then from there, if you give it enough attention, you can sort out where it's coming from. And the knowledge of that allows you to move past it. Because you realize, again, you're not that thing. So whether it was, I mean, I was super angry. I fought a lot growing up. How to deal with that anger seeing where it comes from, seeing what things trigger me. As Anahata says, everybody has a blind spot. So the more work we do, the more we can narrow that blind spot. But it never goes away. You still always have some blind spot. So the key is as much as I can learn about my emotions and my state and as much as I can detach from my thoughts and remain present, that's really to the degree that I can navigate the world without being uh, just along for the ride. You know, and and for a long time, I was along for the ride, you know, just like a three year old son who's embarrassed and, and feels that embarrassment and anger and wants to lash out. That's how I was at fucking 28 years old,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where was the biggest source of your anger coming from? Honestly, yeah, my, uh, I've, t- I've spoken
1: about a bit about this before and, and to be clear, I have a phenomenal relationship with both my parents now. Uh, I've done plant medicine with my father and, and, uh, we've, we've had a lot of healing and we're in a great spot, but it was watching them fight all the time. You yeah. Know? I mean, there was just so many, so many fights and I've read the book nonviolent communication. Like they communicated in a way that was the opposite of that screaming plates being thrown mm. shit like that. And, um, Also seeing my little sister who's a year younger than me just mortified every time it would happen. I kind of became dull to it. It still affected me, but I could shut down and kind of go into a shell and get really quiet and, and try my best to block it out and not let it affect me. But that affects, you know, you read books on parenting and you read books on relationships. One of the things they say is the best thing you can show your kids about relationship is how you treat your partner. Oh, yeah. It's how daddy treats mom. It's how mom treats dad. It's how daddy talks to mom. It's how mom talks to dad. And with that, you lead by example. And everything you do with a kid, you're leading by example because they're watching everything and absorbing it all. And I think, um, you know, both my parents were like rams. They they were just butt heads constantly. Neither one of them was soft. Neither one of them could receive. Neither one of them could apologize. Neither one of them would admit fault. And... That's a recipe for, for a lot of conflict. And I think having that on such a regular basis, that was worse than any of the ways I was disciplined or any of the things that I that I had happened. That was the cause or the source of me wanting to beat the shit out of people when I was young. And, you know, I think that that anger, I mean, there's a, there's a fire that's instilled there. And then again, too, like just to say, just to plain it from both sides, there's two sides to every coin. One of the concepts that I've learned is anything you were taught teaches you the good and the bad. It's not that, oh, all this shitty hard stuff happened to me and woe is me. There is The second it ended, you're done being a victim. The second it's over, you're done being a victim. So what has it done positively for me? Well, it taught me what not to do. It taught me how not to, to communicate with my wife, how to not act in front of my children when they're watching It taught me to be more receptive it taught me to be soft in 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 communication it taught me to give in and surrender rather than to fucking be strong and stiff and right yeah you know so i think i think all those things are gifts and at the same time it gave me the gift of having fire inside you know And, and put it plainly like there's even to this day i retired five years ago but if there was an issue on the street like I would have no problem showing up in an instant. You know, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't take convincing in my own mind. I wouldn't be on the fence saying, gosh, do I do something? I don't know. It'd just be like, yeah, it's fucking go time. So that's a gift too, when used properly. And I think, um, and it's a gift in the gym now. Like if I need to get after it and hit some high intensity intervals, I have no problem pushing through that stuff because that's been instilled in me from a young age. So I think there's, there's gifts everywhere you you look. If You decide to look through the lens that it is a gift
0: yeah did that frustration and that anger did that lead later into depression and different issues like that
1: yeah big time um like i said i wanted to be an athlete when i was a kid i wanted to be a professional football player i think a lot of kids playing football want to have that um and you know my senior year at asu i wasn't getting much playing time i realized like there was guys that had started all four years and didn't go pro so I was like, all right, well, this is my last year, so let's just enjoy it. And I did, but I really didn't enjoy uh, the classes that I was taking at that point. I had changed my major quite a few times just to stay eligible and um, didn't like the writing on the wall. I got really depressed, uh, quit going to school, was using a lot of bad drugs and alcohol. And I, I the rule of thumb on on drugs that I have is... If it leaves you feeling better the next day, it's a good drug. If it leaves you feeling like shit the next day, it's a bad drug. And um, I was doing a lot of bad drugs, you know, and, and I think that caused, in and in it of itself, an emotional roller coaster. Lack of sleep causes an emotional roller coaster. Combining all those things with a lack of paying attention to where my shit's coming from sure. was a recipe for disaster. And I got super depressed, uh, attempted suicide, and coming out of that, really started to, to sort my shit out and kind of think, like, what do I want to do now going forward? But, uh, you know, that's, that's where I found fighting as just an outlet, you know, and, and fighting led me to wanting to take care of myself and having this great coach and all the things that the fighting gave me.
0: You know, and so many people find something like that, uh, an outlet, to be able to channel that anger, that frustration. And like you were talking about the constipation, you know, there's so many, you, you can just see the frustration on people. It's like, God damn, you must be hurting. Um, you know, that rule of thumb could probably be used for relationships, too, and people. You know, if you make me feel like shit about myself, it's not a good relationship. If I leave this conversation feeling better about myself, you know, as- apart from constructive criticism, you know, then it's a good relationship. And that's something I've had to do with, with people, you know, because that, those, those outlying variables like drugs and alcohol can really it's like that meme that goes around if you uh you may not be depressed you may just be surrounded by assholes <laughs> I like that because <laughs> you know everybody around me is a dick well like I struggled with alcohol and drugs for a long time because that's how I covered everything up and I would fight and act a fool and you know um whenever I was sober I typically wouldn't fight I would just kind of be like whatever man and uh, posture a little bit or whatever would happen. But whenever I fought, whenever I, whenever I drank or used and I wasn't in my right mind or didn't have very much coordination is when I'd want to fight. And that's the worst time to fight. So I'd wake up the next day like, Jesus, where did all this come from? You know, the drugs and alcohol took me down such a nasty path that it bled into me being a father, you know, cause I met my ex in a bar and, um, We'd stay um, – I'd try to sober up, and it wouldn't work. And then, you know, my daughter, when she – I didn't I didn't get sober until she was about two. And so she's never really seen me fucked up or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, I've talked openly for the most part about it. What helped you reel it in with the, the drinking and all that, just the fighting?
1: Well, fighting did – and it was really like this uh – it was balls to the walls in both directions. So eight weeks, as you know, before the fight, signed the contract, and I'm Mr. Goody Two Shoes, meditating every day, not watching TV, uh, eating super clean organic food, taking Spiritual care of myself. Spiritual fucking giant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the second the fight ends, uh, cocaine, alcohol, fucking. Big Macs, you know, just the worst shit. I could. It's like oh, yeah. I was a good boy for eight weeks. And then bring on the I booger des- sugar. I deserve <laughs> it. Yep, <laughs> booger <laughs> sugar. I deserve to let loose. And um, I earned this. Yeah, and you know that it's funny because it's like this is in my mind just the way I'm going to celebrate post fight, and that celebration extends the entire eight weeks I have off before the next fight camp. It's never just a one night thing on the night of the fight. It's that night, and then the next weekend, and then. I take a weekend off, and then I'm going hard the whole weekend after that, and it just patterns that way for the whole eight weeks I have off, destroying myself. And then I sign the contract for the fight, and holy shit, I'm out of shape. Now I go back to being a goody two shoes and and living life proper. And uh, I would do that every fight camp that I had, even even in the UFC. You know, I, I'm not gonna name names about people I party with, but there was quite a few other fighters who were considered some of the greatest of all time that I would party with if we didn't have fights. And it was like, well, if that guy can do it, I can do it. you know. And so it kind of gave me permission to, to live that way. And it wasn't until I think my 10th ayahuasca ceremony, um, when I first started working with ayahuasca, I would, I would, it was very hard for me to gain as much introspection and healing about myself without wanting to give it to everyone else. I knew like, God, you got to do this. This is amazing. I wanted to shop from the mountaintops. Like this is for everyone. What hey you, you asshole. For? Come here. I want to talk yeah. to you. Asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think about my family members, fucking everyone. I knew all my buddies from childhood and, um, a lot of people weren't receptive to that. And it's funny because like people, a lot of people aren't, they don't want to sign up for that because on some level they know, what's ahead of them. They don't want to see that. And, and I use this analogy a lot, but it's a lot like Joey Pantaleone in uh, The Matrix when he's like, I know what you're thinking. Why did you take the red pill? You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to know. He'd rather go back, you know, and he's eating his steak with, the, with the, the, the bot in The Matrix. And he's like, I want to know this steak is a steak. I don't want to know. It's just some algorithm the computer made. Like, he just wants to go back into his shell and not wake Blissfully up, Blissfully right? ignorant. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people on some level, whether they're conscious of it or not, want to stay that way. You see it with food. You see it with all sorts of shit. You know, like, people want to believe the factory farm steak is just as good as the grass-fed one. They want to believe all sorts of shit, but they, they shy away from that. And so I grappled with this for several ceremonies. And then when I got to my 10th, I was in Colombia. They They had a lot of... Uh, curanderos, the guys who make the medicine and who didn't speak English they spoke their, their tribe language and they spoke uh, Spanish and then we had a guy break it down from Spanish to English and so he said hey, at, at, you know, we're going to have a lot of different places in the Amazon use many different forms of ayahuasca and other plants that are kind of sister plants that work in concert with it and so they told me they were going to use this, this uh, tree of a thousand ants at midnight and I was like, why do they call it that? and he said, well it feels like a thousand ants are biting you. And so I laughed and I said, well, I'm going to, sure, I'll do this. But what's the purpose of it? And he said, think of any negative emotion you have and um, keep that in your intention. And that's what it's going to take away from you. It's going to eat away that negative emotion. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. That sounds cool. And he's like, now, what is your negative emotion? I'm going to tell, tell the, the, the healers and, and we'll see uh, what we can do to, to work on that. And the negative emotion was anger, of course. And he said, what, what's the cause of your anger right now? And I said, the more I wake up, the harder it is to be around my family. And, and wake up is a term I use loosely, but if you think about it like this, like if I become more aware of what's important in life, and I hear my mom complain about not having a Tesla, it's like, come on, get your shit together. That's a total fucking first world problem. It's not a complaint. Your life's not bad. You have a fucking BMW. Like, we're good here. Those kind of things. So, um, and that's just one example of thousands we can find, you know, where we think about, as we grow, the differences between those of us that aren't choosing to do that. And so at the beginning of the ceremony, they they had asked, like, does anybody have an addiction to cannabis or to alcohol? And a few hands went up. And they said, okay, good. You know, this is something that we want to focus on. We can root that. And for me at that time, it was funny because I was like, I don't have a problem with that stuff. I used to use weed a lot when I was a freshman in college, but didn't think I had an issue with alcohol at all. And it's not like I would drink every day, but when I did, I'd drink like an asshole. And so with the focal point of, I really want my sister to do this, why won't she do this? And that little precursor of, if you have an issue with alcohol, um, ceremony went off, we drank the tea and At some point I I started having visions of my sister and the visions were all the times I gave my sister a drug and she said yes. And they were fucking countless times. Uh, Smoking weed that was uh, soaked in ketamine, like you fucking name it. I would just be like, oh, you gotta try this, let's do it. And we'd get blasted together. And so seeing that and then seeing all the nights she watched me and my chonies just puking violently over a railing and saying, get away, I don't want you to see me like this, to, hey, you gotta try this stuff called ayahuasca. I could see instantly why she was like, fuck you, it's just the latest drug you wanna do. It's not. There's nothing special about that. There's no, there's no difference. Because I had already patterned in her a distrust in what we were gonna do. And all the history that we've had, she saw me when I didn't have brakes, when I just hit the gas you know and to to see that it really allowed me to process like oh number one she doesn't ever have to do this with me and that's that's kind of what the guy said He, he told me everyone walks their own path you don't decide how they get their lessons or when they get their lessons everyone walks their own path your job is not to grab people and bring them to the altar to do ayahuasca with you your job is to work on yourself and to heal yourself and to be the light in their life and to live by example. And as you change and become a better person, that's your gift to them. It's not getting them to do the same shit you do because everyone walks their own path.
0: Sure. You know, like with me, I found the healthier I get and I'm using air quotes there, the healthier, you know, my family gets as far as like my immediate family, because I quit bringing certain things to the table and it allows them space to just do their thing and not be judged by me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's interesting that you had that much introspection to be able to see see it for what it is, take that thirty thousand foot view or whatever. Um yeah, I mean, of course that would have been her response.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's no question.
0: So um before all of this, what was your idea of masculinity?
1: Well, I mean, it wasn't like the Marlboro man with a <laughs> pretty masculine his, you know, know. on the back of a horse. But yeah, you ha- I mean, I had the idea of, I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s, um, very much was influenced by Arnold and, and Stallone and, and um, you know, what a tough guy is and, and having big muscle. And of course, you know, that, that meant when I got into strength training that Muscle Media 2000 and. Flex magazine and all these ways were the ways you become big and strong and that's masculine and to not show emotion. And I think, I mean, that that had been conditioned from a very young age, not just from my dad, but from uh, my first calisthenics coach in Pop Warner football when I was 10 years old, was a former calisthenics coach in the Marines. So there was so a fucking no-nonsense <laughs> approach to football practice. If you spoke at a turn, you were doing... We had to do 100 yards each direction bear crawl. For a 10-year-old, that is, I mean, for a fucking 37-year-old, that's a nightmare. But for a 10-year-old, like, it's death to yeah, have to do all 200 yards in football pads. So, um, you know, we learned right then. And then that was this thing, too, like, the are you hurt or are you injured? Oh, yeah. Right? If you're injured, that's fine. Come out of the game. You're not going back in. But if you're hurt, suck it up. Rub some dirt on it
0: quit being a pussy yeah
1: quit being a pussy and so i think that level of conditioning was there for a very long time and then you know i think i think that's just it now when i when i look back on that versus how i live now it's it it really goes to show what we think is permissible Mm -hmm. and it's based around what we see and that's one of the reasons that i'm not afraid to cry on podcasts knowing there's a lot of men listening um we give each other permission when we show that. And it's not for me to say like, all these men need to cry, but it's like, yeah, at some point in time, it's okay. And it's probably going to be fucking pretty, pretty powerful and healing for you to be able to let that out.
0: And there's going to be fucking snot bubbles and <laughs> it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And, and you're not going to want anybody to look at you there for the longest time. I couldn't cry. And it wasn't because I had this weird idea that guys don't cry because, um, you know, shit, I was a drunk crier, you know, like I would, I would get, I would get half in the bag and start thinking about the ex and then go home and ball my eyes out, you know, after I tried to start a fight in a bar, but here for probably Abby was, I guess, six, seven, eight round then, you know, first part of my marriage, I would try to cry or I would try to just let something come out, you know, I'd feel it except for movies, movies fucking get me every time, you know, uh, if it, there's a kid that gets hurt or something goes on like that in a movie, I'm fucking out, dude. I can't do it. I'm bawling. I'm just, I'm all tears, you know. But if it was something that would have been productive, like, fuck, I need to let this go, I would feel it well up inside me. And then right before I got to the cusp, before it just kind of released, and I was like, oh, yeah, like a sneeze. Like you're looking at the sun trying to sneeze, like, oh, shit, here it comes. And then it felt like just this thumb was mashing it back down inside of me and just suppressing it. And then it would get replaced with anger. Mm. And it was a trip, you know, and I had to do a lot of EMDR therapy on that and go through a whole path with that deal. Thankfully, my wife is an amazing and understanding woman that's walked with me through this whole path, you know, not being able to release that shit causes a lot of frustration, a lot of spiritual constipation, you know, I mean, it's, it took the perfect circumstances and doing the work for it to finally release. But now whenever I, now when it's, when it's warranted, it's cleansing, it's, it's detoxifying, you know? I mean, it's, it's, I can't even imagine like feeling that emotion and suppressing it because I don't know. Somebody's going to think I'm less, less of a man, you know, or, oh, you're a bitch. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it just sounds so ignorant to me now, but that's just how people operate. You know, you, uh, you said something about the steak, you know, people walk around in such inflammation and in such in, in a state of unhealth or or sickness that they don't realize that they just ate something that's causing them a lot of issues. It's when you start peeling all this stuff away, and then you do that, and you're like, dude, I did not like the way that made me feel. Well, if you're walking around in this emotional haze of everything is just kind of compressed into this just ball of shit inside of you, and you're pissed off, and you're not gonna realize that these little things are are triggers or these little things are causing you issues, or at least they weren't for me. I was just an angry fuck. You know, I was just a miserable bastard to be around. It's when I started peeling shit away and then I could start seeing, oh, that's what that is. You know, that's why I react that way. And it's, I guess it's the same thing with the plant medicine. That's something that I'm very interested in because I like the idea of it that it's not a pill that I have to take the rest of my life. You know, I like that it scratches away the surface of what we believe to be reality, yeah. or, or maybe there's a different way to put no, that. No, that,
1: I think that's that's very well put.
0: What's your idea of masculinity now? What's your idea of being a man now?
1: Well, I think that that comes with, I mean, to be a man today comes with a great deal of responsibility, and, and perhaps that was always the case. But I think now more than ever, there's the need for balance. There's a need for I think I think. You know, to, to be the stoic and to live life correctly, whatever that means. You know, I think I think there's, there's something there. But on the other, other side of that, to be kind, to be gentle, to be soft in yeah. a way. And that doesn't mean being fat and slow. It just means to soften the approach, to have a gentleness, to have a, a way of communicating that's nonviolent, to be able to discern the truth when people are speaking to one another and that's I love the book nonviolent communication because of the fact that it teaches you the code of how to crack through what people are really saying when somebody speaks to you violently and to relay that message back to them in a nonviolent way that lets them know they were heard it's a great gift to have that ability because communication is the foundation for any relationship whether it's with your your dad or your wife or your kid or your boss anybody Friends, How you communicate is everything. And I think that once people feel heard, it takes the guard down, you know, because you could be hot, hot like fucking lava spewing out shit at somebody. And if they're able to calmly not take it personally and bring it back to you in a way that you feel heard, that softens the person who's upset. So having a skill like that, I think, is incredibly important, and I think it's, it's uh, really important today, especially for men, to be able to, to have that. You know, women are, are conditioned in different ways, and they have their own shit that they have to work through culturally, and things that we're starting to see dispelled now about female sexuality, and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of things like that, that, that make it hard for women to be fully human. And... Um, But, you know, the same can be said about, you know, the divine feminine and the unconscious feminine. You know, the divine feminine knows what's true and speaks freely. And, you know, there's, for one example, the unconscious would be the one that complains all the time or gossips. Those kind of things. So we we can see on both sides of the fence when somebody is is acting in accord with their higher self and when somebody is a bit locked into uh, their shadow self or, some negative form of, of, uh, of being in the world. But I think the key to all this shit, and this, this sounds a little airy-fairy, but the key to all of this is finding stillness because that's the only time it's gonna come up. And now in the modern information era, having our cell phones with access to everything and social media and fucking TV shows and a million different stations to watch, serious XM radio in the car, we're constantly absorbing stuff externally. And every time we're absorbing something externally, we're shutting off that connection to what's going on inside It's only when we get quiet that we really begin to realize what's happening inside our bodies right now And I think a lot of people avoid that because of the fact that they are uncomfortable in their own skin I certainly was for many fucking years. The vast majority of my life. I was uncomfortable in my own skin And so the ability to sit with myself and to be Comfortable in the quiet and see where stuff's coming from. Do I feel anxious? Do I feel nervous? Do I feel scared? Or do I feel happy? Like it can be positive too, right? It's not like I'm gonna get meditate and every day I have to sort through some negative emotion. Most of the time, I'm gonna feel happy now because I've come to a place where I can sort my state of being out. And if I can get quiet and push pause on the TV or the radio and just drive in silence or go for a walk with, with no headphones in and just listen to nature and cars driving by, I give myself the space to, to feel what's going on. And from there, that level of awareness can teach me and, and show me, I guess, the way of where that's coming from. Like, oh, shit, I'm nervous about this podcast change or I'm nervous about uh, Bear starting school and, and what it was like for me to start school. You know, all those things can come up for me if I give the space to actually see where it's coming from And then from there, with that level of contemplation and awareness, it doesn't affect me the same way as if I just kept watching a TV show or, you know, drinking alcohol or whatever other thing I would use to numb and avoid.
0: To hide. Yeah. Well, you know, and like you said something about uh, stoicism and a lot of guys will say, you know, that you just be in control of your emotions and just don't show them, whatever it may be. and. I mean, I understand that you don't want to be controlled by your emotions. You don't want to just be like every time you feel something like, Holy shit, I'm sad. And just like lose your shit in front of everybody. You know, I think there's a balance between not feeling anything and just being an emotional wreck all the time and like constantly being activated and everything is just an outward expression and it's just like vomit everywhere. Yeah. You know, you can't fight an enemy that you can't see. So if you don't take the time to work on the things to figure out what it is that's making you tick, that what's making you feel insecure, why am I fearful? Why am I scared? What is this I'm feeling? Why am I reacting this way? Why is it every time I talk to my ex-wife I get this, this tightness in my chest and, and then I lose five years' worth of progress that I've done, I end up acting like a complete ass, you know, or whatever it is. If you don't know what's causing these things, you can't improve. You, it's a blind spot. I like what you said about being kind. That's one thing I focus on now, being empathetic and just letting it be about it's all about you loving me and me loving you. And that's not, I mean, that's not easy to do a lot of times. I mean, I want to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. I want to be an asshole. I want to figure out why I'm better than you and and so I can feel superior and I don't have to feel less than. And then once I start seeing that shit, I'm like, God. Here we are again. (laughs) You you fucking quit being insecure, man. So you still don't struggle with any depression or does it come and go?
1: You know, for a while it would come and go a little bit. I just, I just feel like now I have, I have so many tools that are accessible and, and, you know, for people who I, I, I really beat the drum about plant medicines because they've done so much for me, but there's a lot of people who won't go down that road. There's many other tools that I lean on on a more frequent basis, you know, in that, Includes various forms of meditation. One of the things that that have really been helpful for me is to know that I don't have to sit still if I've got a lot of shit inside. So this idea that meditating is only in a dark, quiet room with my back against the wall, upright, perfect posture, in nice silence. Pillow. Yeah, I don't think that that necessarily needs to be the case for most people. I think if there's, you know, and I've spoken about this before, but yoga really is moving energy through your body or moving stiffness and moving shit out of your body so you can sit still. But you're going through all these postures and stretching and opening that out and breathing and focusing on the breath work and getting a quiet mind. You're meditating while you're doing yoga so you can sit quietly and meditate. But if I don't have time to do all that and I feel like there's a lot of shit going on and I just can't sit still, I don't have to fucking force it, right? I'm sure a lot of people who've tried meditation, they're like, I feel like I'm not doing it right. I don't feel that deep sense of peace. I feel like I'm fucking just fighting up an uphill battle with, you know, pushing against what my body wants to do. If your body wants to move, that's fine. Like I I do walking meditations, I do Tai Chi, I do qigong, And I think a lot of those are more applicable to me when I have something going on inside. And if I can go for a walk in, in nature and focus on my breathing, and if, pop, if stuff pops up in my mind, I can actually contemplate about it. I don't have to try to move it away and get to quiet mind. That allows me to get to quiet mind by actually giving something attention for a minute and, and coming to grips with what I can change and what I can't change about it. And then from there, releasing that, surrendering to it, and just trusting. And I think you know, all those tools, especially the float tank, um, it's been a very powerful tool because, as I had stated earlier about social media and TV and radio and all these other things we use to distract ourselves, they, they're all something external coming in. When you get into the float tank, you have nothing external coming in. You have no light, no sound. Uh, eventually, you don't feel your body because it's the same temperature as your skin. You're completely suspended, so you have a weightlessness, so you don't feel gravity. All those things begin to create bandwidth within the brain because there's nothing coming into it and from there you can either contemplate and sort your shit out or you can go super deep into meditation and there's been times where i did a, a 90 minute float and uh you know the lights come on and the music starts and you're like what the fuck yeah it's over i, I just got here yeah it's been like five minutes
0: it took me a couple of times before i got used to it yeah and it took me a couple of times to realize that the Vaseline was there to keep your fucking body from stinging every little paper cut and everything <laughs> <Yep. laughs> you get in there. And you're like, Oh fuck, this the isn't relaxing. It sets you on fire. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a, a, magnesium or there's a float tank in, in Fort Worth. That's a, um, a buddy of mine opened. And so I, I can go use that one and it's, it's pretty awesome, but it's hard to sit still in it. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's the other, that's it. Just go back to the meditation piece, right? Like if I'm able to do, yoga or go for a three mile walk in nature the odds of me being able to sit still in that thing are going to be greatly increased
0: you know you talk about a walk I used to roll my eyes at that when you hear people say you know I can just go for a walk I'm like what the fuck is just a walk what are you doing I walk all day but now if I go for a walk even if it's in my neighborhood like my wife her routine and self-care is just top-notch I really want to practice self-care but it's My mind's like a weed eater, you know, like when you're trying to start it, it's like as soon as I wake up, it's like that. And then it's just full throttle. And so I've had to really work to kind of not do that, to wake up and bounce on the trampoline, sit in the sauna, do all these different things that we we've brought into our home to kind of help me fight off my natural tendency to be balls out all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have brakes. I have a brick wall and I hit that. And then it's like, oh, okay, now I'm going to get sleep or now I'm going to rest. And it's once everything falls apart and I'm a complete mess, like, I don't know what happened. And my wife's like, well, (laughs) she doesn't remind me. She's just kind of like, you haven't been getting much sleep. She doesn't point out all the other shit that happened. (laughs) But the, you know, the walks in nature, like just out on the trails around our house is, I mean, that's, that's fucking phenomenal. And everybody's got time for that. It's 30 minutes, you know? And I feel amazing afterwards. And I do some of the best thinking there. I problem solving. Oh, this is where this is what I need to do with that client. This is what I need to do with that problem. This is what I need. This is where I need to put that money. Whatever it is. The guy that I co-host with on some of the other episodes, the Coffee with Cody episodes. Yesterday we recorded because he moved to Austin, so I went by his place, and he was like, "Hey, man, how can we start? You know, meditating?" And because I fuck up with it. Like I'm batting like a, like a 300 on that, you know? I mean, it's sometimes I'm good at it. Sometimes I'm not. I'm like, well, dude, just try to get up first thing in the morning and sit and just sit quietly. And and if you're sitting up, you shouldn't fall asleep. He's like, all right. So he gets up at four o'clock this morning. He calls me on the way here and he says, all right, man, so this is what happened. I got up at four o'clock. I sat down and then I woke up at five o'clock. (laughs) <laughs> and then I was late for the gym, and I hauled ass to the gym, and I forgot my work boots, so I had to go back, and my whole morning was shit, and I was like, hey, man, it's not meditation's fault. Yeah. it's just just try it again. But that's, I mean, you just keep trying. Like the float tank, it doesn't work the first time. Meditation doesn't work the, flir- the first time. First time you go to a therapist, it's not going to work. Apparently, the first time you do plant medicine is not the only time you can do it, because you've done, like, what, 28 ceremonies? 26
1: uh and... Countless mushroom, LSD, MDMA ceremonies, yeah.
0: What are penis envy mushrooms? I heard this the other day, and I was like, and I meant to look it up, but, yeah. but I'll let you tell me.
1: They are, it's, uh, I don't think it's correct logic to try to place like a pecking order of what is the the best or the strongest or this kind of stuff when you come to plant medicines. And certainly, I, I think Graham Hancock put it best when he said that all these all these teacher plants have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. So ayahuasca has a seat at the table. Iboga has a seat at the table. When you think of like these great teachers and, and including LSD and MDMA when used appropriately, which aren't plants. Among mushrooms, it, they're, they have strains similar to cannabis and some have completely different effects, you know, similar, they're all psilocybin, but different in strength. And I think... For whatever reason, I, to my understanding, this may just be a, a story around it, but I had heard that the McKenna brothers developed this strain called penis envy and that it was twice as strong as any other mushroom on earth, three times as strong as some mushrooms. For years, I knew about it but, but didn't have access, and I finally got a hold of some. By, by all accounts, it's, it's not even like other mushrooms. I mean, it's like its own thing. I've had ceremonies with that that were as deep as any ayahuasca experience I've had. And most mushroom experiences that I've had have not been that as deep. And I've done, you know, by all accounts, heroic doses, uh, 13 and a half grams with my wife in a sweat lodge. We've had many five gram nights ground up McKenna style at night, but penis in me just, it's, it's just kind of in a league of its own. And it's not for the faint of heart. I've, I've seen guys on one gram really struggle you know, and really have to to do the deep work. That's one gram. You know, like it's it's such a small amount when you compare that to uh, how many mushrooms you need to eat. If it was Golden Teacher or B plus or some of these other strains that are more common. You know, like if you're in the Pacific Northwest, odds are you're going to get something like that. That's that's grown naturally. Penis semi to my understanding, has to be grown in a lab because it's susceptible to mold. But if you are able to get them, like they they are they're powerful teachers. That's one too, where, you know, the beauty of mushrooms and, and LSD and different things like that is you can microdose, you can oftentimes scale up to a point where you can reach the heroic dose, but you have enough experience that you're not just blown the fuck away. And you can set it up to where, you know, it's always good to have at least a sitter or somebody you're doing it with, but you can get to a place where, you know, you do the the Terrence McKenna, you're by yourself alone in a room in, in the darkness at night, and maybe you've got some music playing with no uh, lyrics, but you're able to have that experience by yourself. You would never drink ayahuasca by yourself. So that's kind of the difference. Like you always have to have a guide, a shaman, a maestro to work with you with something that powerful. And I think that's, that's the case for penis envy. I think, I think the case would be made that with something that potent if you are taking it to to blast off and, and not have any control over the situation, it's a good idea to have somebody at least watching you who's, who's been down the rabbit hole before. But they're, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they're absolutely amazing.
0: And you did those with your dad?
1: I did those with my dad. We actually had 150 milligrams of MDMA with it because they call that hippie flipping on the street where you stack molly with mushrooms. You know, my dad had a lot of, a lot of issues around control and lived in fear for quite a long time that was one of the first realizations i had when i was working through my childhood with regards to my parents fighting was they lived in fear and that's what was the source of a lot of their arguments and fighting then the lack of communication skills would let it spiral out of control but knowing that going into it i really understood that let's lead this in love so it's a little gentler and the mdma Really does push you into love. That's why people, you know, on Molly or Ecstasy, they'll wake up the next day and shit say, "Shit, man, I fucking told all these people I love them, and I've got like 14 new contacts in my phone and people I'll never talk to again." It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing, but but uh, sometimes there's there's uh, you know regret around that that kind of stuff. I certainly felt that way in college if I was just partying with it. But used used with respect and intention, there's a lot of healing that can take place with MDMA, and we're seeing that now with. The work that maps is doing rick doblin with with uh people with ptsd sexual assault victims veterans and they only need to take three doses over the course of a year sure with therapy it's not like you fill your bottle at walgreens and take it to the club like you're going in it's guided and there's a lot of healing that happens from that so you know we had this this ceremony with the penis envy mushrooms and, and mdma and yeah i I'm, I'm gonna have him on the podcast to discuss everything that happened in that ceremony. And, and Your dad? Yeah. And I'm really excited for that. So I don't want to tell his story too much, but I will say that it. by the end of it, it reminded me of this Johns Hopkins study they did where they gave terminally ill cancer patients a heroic dose of mushrooms. And 80% of the terminally ill cancer patients no longer feared death. Four out of five people no longer feared death. And these were people that were fucking petrified. They had no... Even if they were spiritual, they didn't know what was going to happen. Right. And that gave them the confidence regardless of what happens because nobody knows, but that gave them the confidence to live out the rest of their days. However numbered they were to the fullest to really appreciate what they had and the time that they had. That's really what my dad got. My, my father had uh, his mom's mom. My great grandmother Mo was really spiritual. And she would give him books like There is a River by Edgar Casey, and and many things that, that helped him to think of things differently than like the standard Western idea around uh, religion and spirituality. And so he had that his whole life and he had always assumed that his mom was the same way because that's his grandma's daughter. And as uh, as Nana now is getting ready to pass away, it was really in his face, you know, about death and our our own mortality and as he started having conversations with his mom about what's going to happen when she die and and if she's confident with it or not and she really wasn't and so that shakiness fucked him up and it started, you know, he's 67 or 60 I think he turned 68 in September a lot of that stuff started coming up for him and his experience really was with this infinite energy and God is love and feeling that through and through and any time he would struggle with it, I mean he'd We took enough to where it was, you know, eye level, and he purged violently a couple of times. As you know, that's a part of any deep work, you know, and that release is more than just a physical, I need to vomit. Like, it's not like I drank too much, I need to get it out of my body. It has to do with emotional release, too, and any time he would push and not surrender or try to control, he would have to release that. And so he had a few of these come until he finally came to grips with, like, this deep sense of understanding that, Everything is God and that's infinite. And he's a part of that. And so the fear of him vanishing into nothingness, it vanished, it was gone. And whether that's true or not, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing to think of it that way because so much of our lives, we struggle with this idea of what's gonna happen when we die and the fear of our own mortality. And for him to have that confidence now as he lives out the last third of his life, it's a pretty powerful thing.
0: That's, uh, he gets to die knowing that. I mean, and, and y'all are breaking the cycle of, of how the men treat each other and, and how you treat your sons. and Because Bear's never going to know any of the kind of stuff that you, that you experienced when you were a kid. Yeah. And that's got to be pretty, I mean, there's got to be a lot of emotion wrapped around that for him.
1: Yeah, he's, you know, I think that the first time we did ayahuasca together, he was crying at the end while we were sharing, and he just understood how the cycle breaks, seeing, you know, that, that line, because he knew – my great-grandfather and his, my great-great-grandfather, he knew them all. He knew what kind of men they were. He knew how they treated their sons. You know, bear, Bear will never know the way I was raised, other than when we talk about it, the same as I never knew how my dad was raised, other than when he would talk about it. It's the goal of every parent to do better than their parents. And for sure, my dad did miles better than his parents. But... You know, one of the visions that I got was really, you know, recently was really seeing that it, it is like a clean break with Bear. And even though he'll do a much better job with his kids than I do with him, that's a beautiful thing. And if, and if our, if we are infinite, we do have souls and they're looking on, everyone that goes back down the line is seeing that smiling right now. And that's something I do believe in. That's yeah. a pretty cool feeling.
0: That's rad. Right. I, think, I think the best thing we can do is share our message share our experience strength and hope and whatever whatever that is my father and I are estranged I see him every once in a while because he works somewhere that I have to go to for work but I don't think he recognizes me because it's been so long since we've seen each other and I was listening to I was driving here and I just left my hometown and was driving through where my dad lives and I was listening to you on Aubrey's show this last one that you did and you you were talking about your last uh, was it in Santar Soltara. Soltara, And how you thought that last dose didn't, or the third dose didn't, didn't kick in. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to go to bed. And then you were in for the ride. And I was sitting there listening to that. And I was thinking about how you were talking about your dad and how, how I hang on to being mad, you know, because it's a big fucking shield. If I can be mad at you, that means I don't have to look at my shit. If I can be mad at my dad, still, he did his shit, you know. I'm I'm going to assume that he did his best. I'm going to assume that my mom did her best. You know, my mom's a great person. She didn't know how, she wasn't equipped to to deal with me, but she was. she's a good person. But my dad, he's got his own quirks, you know, and those come from his history and his upbringing and the things that he experienced and the things that shaped him. So he's doing the best he can. And I also have to take into account that he's not mentally well. You know, there's a lot of, dysfunction there a lot of hurt that's manifested into a lot of mental disease and so i was listening to this i was i was listening to you thinking about all this driving here thinking about this conversation getting over my nerves getting over all those insecurities you know all that bullshit we go through i was already like man the guy's gonna be fucking a foot taller than me <laughs> <laughs> it's half a foot <laughs> and i look over and my dad's driving next to me on the fucking interstate So I, you know, flipped him the finger and drove off, but (laughs) no, I mean, I just looked over and I was like, motherfucker, you know, the universe just points us to where we need to be. So I guess, I guess this whole process is to call me to get over myself and talk to my dad the next time I see him in that place, because I did have an interaction with him not too long ago. And, uh, something just led me to go talk to him. And it was the most vile, resentful conversation coming from him. And I tried to come from a, sound like the victim, I tried to. I was just, man, I'm just trying to be a good guy here. <laughs> I felt like I was coming from a place of love and not antagonistic or anything like that. I guess he just wasn't there. Or maybe I wasn't ready yet or whatever. But So I want to thank you for sharing your message because, you know, I hear it. And I'm glad and happy for you and, and, and proud for you that you have your own show, that it's now the Kyle Kingsbury Show. I think that what y'all do it on it awesome the only supplements we take in the house because we trust it yeah it's all about trust like once you start taking all the nasty shit out of your life out of your body it's like I only eat at restaurants I trust there's one restaurant really that I'm not gonna say one I trust but one of the ones that is the ones I trust the most is HG and Fort Worth and in Dallas and and they only use coconut oil and they you know it's it's all locally sourced wherever they can and you know within reason and And I know that when I go to eat there, I'm not eating bullshit. Yeah. And I know that when I take on it products, I'm not eating bullshit and I can feel the difference. So there's a, there's a plug. Y'all don't need one. (laughs) Y'all don't need one, but there's your plug. Where can guys find you if they want to ask you about optimizing themselves or anything?
1: Yeah. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at kingsboo k-i-n-g-s-b-u don't dm me because i don't check those but just write me on any other posts that i make and i'll and i'll get to that question and if, if uh if i don't keep asking it and i'll get to it i'm happy to answer any and all questions and then of course listen to me kyle kingsbury podcast is on itunes and all all available podcast sources stitcher you name it and that's it and that's where you can check in on and figure out what I'm up to in life. We're recently now starting to pump out quite a few more. We were, we were just doing one, one a week for the longest time. And with how many episodes I've already done now, I mean, we're done. This is, this is the end of July and we're already done through October. I'll be finished through this year with, if I don't increase. So I got to increase the rate that way I don't have, you know, an episode coming out six months after it's recorded. People are talking about pretty dated shit at that point. So, I think it'll do better for my guests to be able to do that, and then for the listener, if you're enjoying the show, obviously you're going to get more great content. A lot of that'll be with with guests that I have, and then as well, I'll be doing Q and As with my wife pretty consistently. So we had a great response before we did that one. Our first Q and A, and over 200 fucking questions came in. So we're like, oh, okay, people, people got some they questions here. Yeah, yeah. So excited to be doing more of that and getting her on the show and she's, you know, anybody that's in a good marriage will say that their partner is the best thing that ever happened to them. And and I 100% feel that way about her. She's an incredible person in her own right. So it's really great to have an avenue for her to be able to share who she is and what she knows.
0: Oh, good for you. Good for her, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm happy for you both. I tell everybody, I'm the funny one. (laughs) My wife's the beautiful one and the strong one and the tough one and the smart one. I'll just, I'll be the funny one. I slipped in at just the right time with the right joke. And that's how I secured my spot humor
1: that's that's it that's it for relationships you're trying you're single trying to land somebody humor
0: is the golden key gotta throw the joke out there well buddy thank you so much for taking the time i feel like i'm gonna walk away this this meeting better off and so that's that's, if i'm using that rule of thumb then it's good to go you do not have to be perfect but you do have to be present we chase those kids till the day we die love runs downhill i'm ryan i'm your host thanks